All right, good morning again, church. It's been quite a week. Uh, but you know, it has been a beautiful example, I feel, of just the church coming together and just being the church, right? We, we care about one another. We care about uh, what the Lord is doing in us. And just in this last week, it, it's been difficult news to hear and it's been plans of transitions, but really just your support and your encouragement and your love for one another and your desire to see the church go forward has been really beautiful. Uh, the one thing I do want to point to and encourage is that above all things, in good seasons and difficult seasons and transition seasons, the one thing City Reach is always going to be about, it's going to be about Jesus and the fact that He is the head of this church and He loves His church more than any one of us could. Uh, so in this season, our desire is to always point to Him and to love one another and point one another to Christ in what He's done. Now, part of that being in new seasons is we are looking at bringing on new elders uh, in a couple of weeks' time, and we'll, we'll be voting on them on the 12th of September. But we are, in, in conjunction with that, going through a series called Church Leadership 101. Uh, so first we looked at what elders do, what is their function in a church? Then we looked at what are the characteristics of an elder, what are the, what are the qualities that we need to look for in an elder? Uh, and today we're going to be looking at how elders should lead, and we're going to be doing that by looking at Luke uh, chapter 22, and we're going to look through verses 24 to 30. So if you've got a Bible, it'd be good to open up to Luke uh, 22, uh, or you got it on your phone, same thing, look it up there. Now, the other day, I was busy walking through the Cedar playground, and I heard these two teenagers having this argument over who was the goat, the greatest of all time. And one of them was really passionate that it was Kobe Bryant, he was the goat. There was no question about it. And the other kid was almost as passionate about it. No, the goat is LeBron James. And they were quoting statistics at one another. They were quoting trophies won and teams played for. And I even heard a shoe size being thrown into the mix. And as I'm walking along, I kind of smiled to myself. And it reminded me of my days when I was a, a youngster. Like best. You know, uh, even I found out that criminals, there's like this desire to be the greatest criminal. Who knew Ned Kelly is famous and for being the best criminal? Uh, we can even do it as parents. I want to be the best mother. I want to be the best father. And sadly, we can even do it with our faith. I'm going to be the best Christian. So why do we feel this need for greatness? Well, more importantly, how do we know when we're great? How do we know when we're the best? Well, the truth is we compare, right? We, we do this all the time. As parents, uh, we, we do this. I, I know when Rena and I, our kids were little, like we'd go to play group and we would compare our kid. Like, oh, did you see their kid? They're four months and he's already walking. Our kid's not walking yet. That doesn't happen, by the way, just... But, but we start comparing our kids, right? Oh, they, they're so much cleverer than mine. They're so much better behaved. Or did you see our child? Oh, they're much better behaved than theirs. Much better behaved. You know, I, I once sat, uh, and there were two parents, uh, both new mothers, and they were talking about their babies pooping. 
And it was like they were having this competition to see which baby was the best pooper. We, we have this desire for greatness. And the disciples were no different, right? They wanted greatness. And so this is the setting. It starts off in verse 24, and it says this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Now, just for context, Jesus had just been telling them how he was going to suffer, how he was going to die. He was going to tell them how one of them was going to betray him. Now, you would think in that moment, the disciples would be shocked and saddened. You would think that their hearts would be filled with grief and compassion and care for Jesus. I mean, you would at least expect, the very thing that you would expect is that they, they wouldn't be thinking about themselves. Surely not. Surely they would be thinking about Jesus. And yet, it's actually quite the opposite. Rather than thinking about the suffering that Jesus was about to go through, they argued. They argued amongst themselves who was the greatest. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I just think, that's, that's just weird. That's just, you know, it's inappropriate. And, I mean, the, the conversation is embarrassingly self-focused. I mean, can you imagine that conversation unfolding? The disciples are walking along the road, and they kind of go, well, Philip stands up and he goes, listen, guys, it's, it's quite obvious that I'm the goat. I'm the greatest of all time. I'm the best disciple that there ever is. I mean, look at me. Look how humble I am compared to the rest of you. I, I, clearly, I, pr I pray more than all of you. And then someone else jumps up and goes, there's no way it can be you. I mean, look at you. You fall asleep when you're supposed to be praying. How can it be you? I mean, you're not clever enough either. Jesus needs somebody clever. And, and I, I spent all my time with Jesus, and he put me in charge of the food. I must be the greatest of all time. You know what I, I would love to say? Like, How could the disciples just be such jerks? How could they be so insensitive to this moment? But the truth is, I've been there. I've been there just this week. Um, during the week, my wife texted me and she said, hey, I'm working late on Thursday. Can you please pick up the kids from soccer practice? And I texted back and said, sorry, hun, I can't. I'm busy. And she then reminded me, honey, it's been in the calendar for two weeks. And I just went, Err. that was my reply. And in me, I was thinking, how, how can she not understand? Does she not know how busy I am? Does she not know how important the things are that I'm doing? Who am I thinking about in that moment? Me. Me. You know, the DNA of sin is selfishness. It is self focused, it is self-absorbed, it is self-defensive, and it is self-aggrandizing. My, my default idol is the idol of self. And, and I know this because my default craving is for what I find comfortable, what I find enjoyable, and what I can control. And you know what, if, if I want to make myself 
feel good, or at least, at the very least, I want to make myself feel better than everyone else, I can do that in one or two ways. Number one, I can puff myself up. I can tell everyone how great I am, all the things that I did, and all the people I'm helping. Well, the other way I can do it is to pull others down. And you know, we can do this in such subtle ways. It's like, oh, sure, have you seen John? Oh, he's, he's late for work again. Yeah, oh, have, have you seen how, they, how they're raising their kids? Oh, terrible, terrible. You know, when we do that, the subtle implication is, oh, I, w- I would never do that. I, c- I can't believe they do it, but I would never do that because I'm better than them. I'm better than them. You know, and Jesus is overhearing this conversation amongst his disciples. And he comes over to them and he speaks to them and he gives them this contrast between what the world looks at for leadership and what we're called to as his followers. And he does it by essentially asking two questions. The first question he asks them is, who's the boss? Who's the boss? And then the second question he asks them is, who's the servant? Uh, But first, who's the boss? Verse 25, it says this, And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. The kings of the Gentiles. He's basically saying, this is how the, the world views leadership. They want to know who's the boss. When they walk in to a business meeting, they want to know who's the boss, right? Who's the guy who has power and position? Because everyone's looking up to them, right? They're on top of the ladder. And usually that person at the top of the ladder, he likes being there. And he likes reminding people that he's on top. It says they exercise lordship over them. You know, if you are over something or someone, you kind of like that, that view from the top. And it means that everyone else is under you. Everyone else is not as important as you are. It says they called benefactors, right? Now, benefactor means a person who gives money or other help to a person or cause. So it's not as if they don't do good. They do. But they just love the flattery. They love the attention. And they will use their position of power to focus on self. They use the authority to get ahead because of self. Now the truth is, most of us at some point in our lives, in the various areas we're involved with, have seen this kind of leadership. We see it maybe at school or at university. We see it sometimes on our sports teams. We see it at work. And sadly, sometimes we can see it at church. Um, There was a guy called Robert Greene who wrote a book called The 48 Laws of Power. Uh, Now, the one thing that I like about it, it's a terrible book, by the way, but the one thing that I really admire the guy who wrote this book is he's not pretending. He's not mincing his words. He's not trying to say, make it sound nice. He makes his attention absolutely clear. 
He says it quite shockingly, but it does get his point across. And uh, so here are some of the laws of power that he, he kind of says, and I've just picked a few. But as we go through them, I want you to think, is this something that I've witnessed? And then maybe, if we're really honest, is this maybe something that I've done? So the first thing he says is, never outshine the master. And he says this, always make those above you feel comfortably superior. In your desire to please and impress them, do not go too far in displaying your talents or you might accomplish the opposite. Inspire fear and insecurity. Make your masters appear more brilliant than they are and you will attain the heights of power. Guys, in other words, use flattery. Suck up to people. Use flattery. Then he goes on and he says this. Conceal your intentions. Keep people off balance and in the dark by never revealing the purpose behind your action. If they have no clue what you're up to, they cannot prepare a good defense. Guide them far enough down the wrong path, envelop them with enough smoke, and by the time they realize your intentions, it will be too late. In other words, deceive. Use deception. And then he says this, court attention at all costs. Everything is judged by appearance. What is unseen counts for nothing. Never let yourself get lost in the crowd then or buried in oblivion. Stand out. Be conspicuous at all costs. Make yourselves a magnet of attention by appearing larger, more colorful, more mysterious than the bland and timid masses. In other words, boast about yourself. Boast about yourself. And then last one. Get others to do the work for you, but always take the credit. Use wisdom, knowledge, and legwork of other people to further your own cause. Not only will such assistance save you valuable time and energy, it will give you a godlike aura of efficiency and speed. In the end, your helpers will be forgotten and you will be remembered. Never do yourself what others can do for you. In other words, manipulate. I don't know if you notice the, the constant focus on you, you, you. It's about you getting here. These are only four of his laws. There's another 44, and you guys probably listening guys, oh man, that's, that's terrible. How could he write these things? But the truth is, Robert Greene, he's not tapping into something new. He's just blatantly and kind of embarrassingly and shockingly putting on paper what he already sees happening in leadership. He just calls it for what it is. You know the sad thing is? Is that we think this works sometimes. Any of you guys know this guy? Anybody know him? Steve Jobs, right? Now, whenever... Anyone talks about Steve, God, Steve Jobs, it is, he is a genius, right? Uh, it's always how amazing he was. Some of the things said about him, the genius who changed the world, the man who always seemed to know what's next. Steve Jobs is one of the most quoted people on the planet, and usually about his leadership. But did you know 
that those who worked closely with Steve Jobs or worked at Apple said he was actually very difficult to work with and work for. They said Steve, intentionally, he would come and he would create this toxic culture because he, he likes secrecy. He, he, he always had this area of surveillance. He was watching you. And he would get his team to work in little silos. So they weren't allowed to talk to one another. And all non-performers, they were fired immediately. There was no grace. So there's this culture of fear. I don't know if I'm going to get fired or not. I'm not going to get fired or not. And that drove the performance at Apple. They even said people were afraid to take the lift with Steve Jobs in case he fired them on the spot. They would say Steve was a self-obsessed attention seeker. That, you know, if you think of Apple, what name do you associate with Apple? Steve Jobs, right? Why is that? It's because he was obsessed with taking the credit for everything that Apple did. You know, Steve Jobs was only a co-founder of Apple. There was another guy, also called Steve, Steve Wozniak, who actually did the hard work and he invented the first Apple computer. But Steve Jobs hardly ever acknowledged him. Jonathan Ive, he was the, the design head of Apple. And he said this in an interview. He said, I pay particular attention to where an idea comes from. And I even keep notebooks filled with my ideas. So it hurts when he takes credit for one of my designs. They said he was, he was arrogant and he hated receiving any feedback. Uh, his biographer was traveling with him as he was writing the book about him. And he said there was this moment in the hotel when Steve Jobs got there and he totally had this tantrum. He had this absolute tantrum, phoned them, said, we're leaving this hotel because, get this, there was the wrong flower put in the vase. So terrible, we're leaving. And his biographer said it was the same way he ran the company. His approach was, I'm always right and do what I tell you. Now, I want you to know, I'm, I'm not having a go at Steve Jobs, right? I'm grateful for the iPhone, as I'm sure many of you are. But what I am pointing out is that the world admires him for his leadership. And he has been called one of the world's greatest benefactors. He has benefited the world. Now, Jesus comes into that. And he completely flips that on its head with this question. He says, you don't ask the question, who's the boss? You ask the question, who's the servant? Now just think about that for a second. Do you, when you walk into a business meeting or you walk into a charity event even, or you walk into a network setting, do you look for the person of most influence? Do you look for who's the boss around here? How many of us would ask the question, who's the servant? That's what Jesus does. He says it like this in verse 26, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. 
The very first thing Jesus says to his disciples, guys, don't be like that. Don't be like that. You know what, guys? You have been called to be great. The church has been called to be great. As disciples, we are called to be great. But our greatness is not found in power or position. The pathway to greatness is servanthood. It's serving one another. He says, let the greatest among you become as the youngest. As the youngest, right? How is the youngest usually treated, right? Now picture this at your dinner table. How is the youngest usually treated, right? Their opinion is not usually regarded as the most important thing. Uh, you know, their presence is maybe there as for a funny comment. One time we were at our dinner table and um, we were talking to our youngest about maybe being a, a little bit bossy. And she said, I'm not bossy, I'm a leader. And uh, anyway, it was a kind of a funny comment, right? That's, that's, that's how we treat young people. I mean, how many of you parents, when you leave and you go out, do you put the youngest in charge? We don't really have that regard for them. And yet, when you look at David, when David was anointed king of Israel, Samuel called up Jesse and said, Jesse, I'm coming around. One of your sons is going to be the next king of Israel. And I'm going to come around and I'm going to anoint him as the king. So Samuel arrives and Jesse's got his sons all lined up there. And Samuel goes through them. He goes, not you, not you, not you, not you, not you. And he gets to the end and he goes, it's not one of these. Do you have any more sons, Jesse? And Jesse goes, well, the youngest? It's surely not the youngest. I mean, he's, we've got him outside looking after the sheep. And Jesus says, be like that. The one that is least considered. But you know what? The Greek word there for youngest can also mean new. New. Jesus is basically saying there is a new way of leading. Follow the new way. The new way is not lordship over people where you look down on everybody, but it is about climbing down off the ladder and loving and serving people. Um, have any of you seen the show Secret Millionaire? So the, the, premise, the premise of the show is basically you get these very wealthy millionaires, these benefactors, and they go undercover for a week. They go and live among the very poor and disadvantaged communities. They live themselves on a very, very strict budget. They deny themselves all the pleasures they have as a wealthy person. And they take like a, a very menial job, like washing dishes or whatever, or serving people. And for many of these wealthy, wealthy people, you can imagine, it was the first time they'd ever done something like this. Uh, and at the end of the show, the millionaire reveals who they really are, and they donate up to $100,000 to certain people that they've met during the week. And one of the very interesting things was they interviewed these millionaires, these benefactors, how they felt. And they said, you know, for a week, I was denied all these pleasures that I, I really loved and I lived, you know, as, 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 as the poor. And I served washing dishes and things like that. But 
The most interesting thing is that I've had joy this week that I don't usually have. Isn't that amazing? See, Jesus himself models this servanthood. He uses himself as an example. In verse 27, he says, For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? It's an easy question. Is it not the one who resides at the table? Yes, of course it's the one who's at the table. But Jesus says, but I am among you as one who serves. Guys, if anyone, anyone had the right to power and position and authority on this earth, it was Jesus. He could have come and sat at the table and said, I'm in charge, I'm totally incorruptible, I'm totally good, you do this, you do that, you listen to me, I'm always right, and he would have been right. But he didn't come like that. He came to serve, even to the point of death. You know, you you just look at everything Jesus did, the fact that he came as a baby to a poor family, how he served people, how he was full of compassion every time he spoke to people, how he fed people, how he ministered to them, until finally going to the cross itself. This is the best picture of servanthood you will ever see. Now, it is relatively easy to serve people when they're nice and they're thankful, right? When your service is recognized, when people say, thank you for caring for me in my time of need. Thank you for serving in kids' ministry. Thank you for doing my shopping for me when I couldn't. Thank you for listening to me. When you do an act of service and you go out of your way to love and care for someone and they appreciate it, you feel good. It is totally different. It is totally different when that person you care for and you serve couldn't care less. And they just throw it back in your face. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling where you've gone out of your way to help someone and serve someone and they haven't even bothered to say thank you. They've just kind of like, and almost, they seem like they're complaining. Um, just recently, I, I was talking to someone who's in our congregation here, and they were saying, they were just talking about their heart and how difficult it was because um, they were at work, and, and he's a tradie, and he got a call from one of his relatives and said, uh, my, my fridge is broken, and you need to come and help me now because if you don't come help me, all the food in my fridge is going to defrost and spoil. So, he had to take time away from work during the day. He rushed out to uh, get, it, get a fridge, load it up, take it to the place, install it, and move all the food across. And he's serving him. And all he got was complaints about, oh, the fridge is the wrong size. It's not the model that I had before. And some of the food is already defrosted. And he said the whole time it was just complaints and there was no thank you. There was nothing. hard, right? You know, even on that show, The Secret Millionaire, the millionaires only ever gave to those they considered worthy, to those who had responded to their service, who were thankful and polite and kind. 
And they only ever gave a small portion of their wealth. They never really gave it all, right? They never ever made themselves super uncomfortable. They just gave a small portion. But you know, there, there was this guy, Kent uh, Keith, and he wrote a book uh, called Jesus Did It Anyway, The Paradoxical Commandments for Christians. And this is what he says. He says, people are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Love them anyway. Love them anyway. You know, guys, that's Jesus' heart for us. The truth is, sometimes we are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. And yet, He loves us anyway. If you think about that moment when Jesus went to the cross, the ultimate act of service, he gave it all. He didn't just give a little bit, he gave it all. On the cross, he, he took the wrath of God for the judgment of our sin. And then he gives us his righteousness. And you know, the people there, they weren't surrounding Jesus and saying, oh, thank you, Jesus, that's just wonderful what you're doing. No, the, most of his own followers had left him and run away. The others that were there were, were mocking him. They beat him. They spat on him. They humiliated him. And yet, he continued to love and serve them. Even to the point when he's on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. You see, serving is suffering. It is a sacrifice. There are times as a leader, there are times as an elder, there are times as just a member of the church that it is difficult to serve. You know, we want to reach for power and position and authority and we just want to say, do, do, do like I tell you. But Jesus calls us to suffering and service. He actually calls all of us to suffering and service. You see, the church is, is not really designed to be comfortable. I, I'm sorry if you feel that it should be or it is, but the church is not really designed to be that way. Um, the elders are currently studying a book by Paul Tripp called Lead. Um, and together, we recently looked at a chapter on servanthood. So this is Paul Tripp. And uh, we'll show him to you now. You've got to love Paul Tripp for his moustache, don't you? Like, look, look at that kind of moustache. He must be a godly man with a moustache like that. But this is what Paul Tripp says, talking about the church. He goes, what is the church? It is a chosen gathering of unfinished people, still grappling with the selfishness of sin and the seduction of temptation, living in a fallen world where there is deception and dysfunction all around. There is nothing comfortable or easy in this plan. Let me read that bit again. There is nothing comfortable or easy in this plan. The church is intended to be messy and chaotic because the mess is intended to yank us out of self-sufficiency and self-obsession to become a people who really do love God and our neighbors. You see, God puts broken people next to broken people, including leaders, 
Not so that we would all be comfortable with one another, but that we would function as agents of transformation in the lives of one another. And this is what he says. You simply won't have joy in being part of this plan unless, unless you find joy in living a lifestyle of self-denial and willing servanthood. Jesus finishes with this. In verse 28 through 30, he says this. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. You know, the, the reason we cling or we climb for power and position is because we want a kingdom. However big or small that is, we want a little kingdom. And we want to be the king of that little kingdom. And Jesus says, just take your eyes off that little kingdom for a minute. I have a much, much better kingdom for you because there is a better king, a servant king, and he's sitting on the throne, and I want you to be part of that kingdom as you've walked through me and you've stuck with me for, through my trials. Don't follow the way of the world. Don't be pushed and manipulated. And don't push for power or position. Don't follow the 48 laws of power. Rather, just love and serve people. Guys, the church has this beautiful opportunity it's a beautiful opportunity where we can show the world what genuine servant leadership looks like. You know, we should be leading the world uphill, not following it downhill. We don't look to the world for the latest leadership techniques. We look to Jesus and we look at his example, how he loved and served, and we say we want to be like that. So, you know, as we, as we consider elders... We want to be looking for men who lead in such a way that they are known for their service because they're modeling themselves on Christ because he served us in such a powerful way. We want you to take this seriously. We want you to ask the question on who's the boss, who seems like the most influential and important person in the place. No, we want you to ask the question, who's the servant? Who's the one who serves and loves? But you know what? It's also a question for us. It's a time when we should look at our own lives. We should look at the way we're leading in the various aspects of our lives and ask ourselves the question, are we living our lives with this attitude of serving others or are we reaching out for power and position. You know, I, I wish I could go back to those two boys who were having their little argument over Kobe and LeBron. And I'd love to go up to them and say, guys, like, you're comparing the wrong two people. You're focused on the wrong two people. I mean, you guys are impressed and you wowed by guys that put a ball into a basket. 
I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it is, right? And we're so impressed by this kind of thing. You know, all those things will fade away. All those things will fade away. What about the one who defeated death? What about the one who has laid down his life for you? You see, Jesus is that servant king. And that should never stop amazing us. We should never arrive at church and stop being in awe of what he has done. For 2,000 years, the church has gathered and we've continued to be in awe of what he has done and what he continues to do. In 20, 30, 50 years from now, no one is going to be talking about Michael Jordan or LeBron James or Kobe Bryant, but we're still going to be talking about the King of Kings, Jesus. You know, it says this, it says this, as far back as recorded time, right, there have been kings, there have been princes, there have been tribal chiefs, there's been presidents, there's been dictators, there have been leaders of all sorts, and it says this, they have sent their subjects into battle to die for them. But only once, only once in human history has a king not sent his subjects to die for him, but instead died for his subjects. This is a king who introduces a kingdom that is just totally upside down and a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And he's a king who reigns eternally. Guys, the one thing, it is impossible, it is impossible to have this heart of servanthood if we try and do it on our own. Because we have this default idol of self It is only possible by by the grace of Jesus given to us. It's only possible by by looking to him and seeing his example of servanthood. You know, and as we look at him and we look at how he served us and how he continues to serve us, our desire, our heart's desire should be, I want to be molded to be like that. I want Christ-like heart in me. I want to know him more, I want to love him more, and I want to serve him more. Because he serves us. Let's pray. Can I ask you to please stand with me and and let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for being the servant king. Lord, you had the right to everything and that you gave it up. You humbled yourself even to the point of death on a cross for us. Lord, I pray that our hearts this week, we would just look at our own lives. And Lord, I pray, search us, know us, Show us where we need to serve and love like you did. And I pray, give us the grace to do that. Lord, I pray for our elders who are being brought forward. Lord, I pray that they would be men who love you, who want to serve you, and who love others and want to serve others. Lord, I pray that we are a light to this world. We show them we are a kingdom of believers with an amazing king. 
for the good and gracious King who loves us. Father, I pray for the Chinese congregation that's started. What a, a blessing to be able to reach out and shine the light of the gospel uh, to the Chinese people of Adelaide. Father, I pray may they come and come to know this King who laid down everything for them and has served them. Lord, we want to be a people who only want what you want. We want everything else in our life. Lord, if you're not in it, we want it to fade away. And we want you to be Lord of all. We pray this in Jesus' name.